0: live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
1: Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And we want to thank everyone for having us locked and loaded into either your radio stations or streaming on the WNSP app. And if you haven't downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device that you have because we love to correspond with you in the app. And you can get in touch with us on the opening kickoff or the final drive. And also on Friday nights, you can keep us posted and updated on your scores. And tomorrow you'll have an opportunity to to win those two free SEC tickets qualify for that opportunity by picking the correct games and you go 6 and 1 or 7 and 0 and you'll have that opportunity to qualify for those SEC championship tickets. We'll do that on tomorrow's show so you want to make sure that you stay tuned in for that. On today's show, we'll talk to Jason Aponte, and he is with the Niners Nation. We'll keep us updated on the San Francisco 49ers matchup this coming Sunday with the Dallas Cowboys, really the premier matchup that everyone's looking forward to in the NFL this weekend. We'll speak with Tommy Bowden, the former head coach of the Clemson Tigers and Tulane Green Wave right around 4 o'clock, and 4.15, we'll talk to Lindsey Crosby, keeping us up to date on Major League Baseball, wild card playoffs that were all historical in nature with all the teams sweeping the first round of the wild card playoffs. 4.35, we'll talk to Steve Dickey, the head volleyball coach, Coastal Alabama Bruton. He'll join us to talk about how the Coyotes are doing in the Southern Division there. And we'll also be joined at 5 o'clock and 5.30 on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech, Rodney Orr, Tide Air Insider, and Philip Dukes, over 24-7. So, Jaden Voison from the South Alabama Jaguars also scheduled to join us. He's the starting safety. So, it's a jam-packed edition on this Thursday show. Nick Wiggins. I I tell you, man, it's another great day in Mobile, Alabama. It's not too hot, not too cold weather-wise. Just another great day for high school football.
2: I I actually just got an update on my phone that we're on a red alert fire warning in Mobile and Pensacola area. A little dry, I guess. A little dry out there, a little windy. Uh, So, I guess be careful of that. But other than that, it's a great day, especially for me because... I ain't got to come into work tomorrow. (laughs) A Nicholas. I'm I'm feeling like it's Friday, man. I'm feeling good. And nothing wrong with
1: getting the day started early on the three day weekend for Nick Wiggins. And tonight, if you really, really love football, which I do, you really can't complain about the NFL matchups, even though it's two teams that really a lot of people, one, they don't really care about because they're not that good the Chicago Bears taking on the Washington Commanders. Now, the Commanders started off this season pretty good, but that game's going to be on tonight. So at least there is high school football to go enjoy tonight, along with some NFL action as well.
2: Yeah, and look, I guess one angle to watch the game is the the whole Justin Fields experience. Is Justin Fields going to be the Bears quarterback of the future? I don't know. So we can just see how bad is he. Or is it more the coaching and the offensive coordinator? I know that was a little bit of a rumor, but then, you know, they hugged it out for the media and everything at practice. But, ah, I won't be watching. Or you know what? Maybe I will be watching, but you guys won't know because I won't be here tomorrow to (laughs) report on it. (laughs) Well, well, the the
1: game is definitely going to be played tonight, and that's one of those good old robberies with the Bears and the old – Redskins, now the Commanders, getting ready to take place. And the ultimate goal is to for those guys that are playing on Saturdays to make it to the NFL by any means necessary, whether it's a practice roster or a regular 52-man roster. And then when you look at the pros that have been produced by Nick Saban and the game that's getting ready to be with Texas A&M and Alabama this weekend, I, I – 230 matchup. CBS always tries to find the best matchups but listening to some of what Nick Saban has to say on Thursdays when he's on with Pat McAfee every day Pat McAfee kind of gets him to loosen up a little bit and had some things to say about the rivalry with Texas A&M along with coming in to making sure Jimbo Fisher he and him so both of those were hooping teammates when they were at Alabama, and Jimbo was able to knock off Nick a couple of years ago. But Nick chimed in today.
0: No, I I, I think you know rivalries come from other teams being good. Um, LSU has always been really really good, uh, so that's all that, that became a, a big game. It was it wasn't really a natural rivalry, and I think Texas A&M is you know it's kind of the same way. Uh, they they. They're really, really good. They got a really good team this year. Uh, every year we played them, this has kind of been a, a pivotal game uh, for them and for us. So I think the importance of the game depends on how you define rivalry, I guess. Uh, but the, the importance of the game gets escalated because uh, they have a really good team. And, and I think we have a really good team. So it's going to be two good teams playing. And we got to do it on the road in some tough environment. But uh, I think that's a challenge that most players you know, really like that's why they come to a place like this to play in games like this.
1: You know, yeah, he's absolutely right. You do go to Alabama or A and M to play in prime time games like right. this. Two thirty kickoff on CBS. Alabama, a slight favorite in this matchup, but they're going to have to make sure that they execute everything to a T. And I- I'm looking forward to seeing. Jalen Milroe on the big stage having an opportunity to show people his intermediate to long passing range skills and the explosiveness that'll probably be there for the Crimson Tide and and look they're going to they can't turn the ball over Nick they're going to have to fire on all cylinders whereas the Auburn fans can sit back take a deep breath and get ready for the LSU Tigers next week as Auburn will be traveling to Death Valley and it'll be Tigers versus Tigers a week from this coming Saturday.
2: Yeah and you know yesterday I said that today coming in I would have my pick and prediction on who I think is gonna win this game. I've been riding the tide for the past two weeks but As you like to say, as Lee Corso likes to say, not so fast, my friend. I'm going to go ahead and pump the brakes, and I'm going to go ahead and head back to Texas. I think Texas owns Alabama this year, just the whole state in its entirety. I think Texas A&M, they got all the guys. Like We've seen the recruiting class. We know they got the guys. And I think that Alabama struggles, and I think in a way the way that they were able to dominate Mississippi State without having to throw the ball, I think maybe they're going to be a little too comfy and maybe a little too cocky. I'm rocking with the Aggies. I think they're going to win this game. By what? Seven. They're going to win by a touchdown. Yeah. They'll, they'll win uh 31 to 24.
1: All right, 31 to 24. A high-scoring affair. So you think Alabama's defense is going to give up 30 points the same way they did to the Longhorns of Texas?
2: Yep. I think uh you know, hey, they do things bigger in Texas, right? Bigger the- bigger players, bigger scores. I just think Texas, they got their number. And Jimbo, man, he always puts up a good fight, like Nick Saban just said. This is this has become a rivalry because of how these games have gone, how good the teams are when they play each other, how close the games get. I think I just – here's what I think will happen. Okay. If Alabama gets down at any point in the game by 10, I think it's a wrap. I think it's over. I don't think Alabama is going to be able to – have a consistent enough offense, and I don't necessarily think that their defense is that much better than Texas (laughs) A&M's. You're laughing. (laughs) I am going to laugh in regards to Texas A&M. Their their defense is not that much better. Look look what Texas A&M's defense did to Auburn. Look what Georgia's defense was able to do to Auburn. I mean, I think they're all kind of right there in the same crowd. Like, I know that preseason we all said, you know, it was Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and then, like, everybody else. It's it's pretty even. You know, like I've been saying all week and all this season, any team can beat any other team on any day.
1: I think there is a lot of parity in the SEC, period. And if you look at the SEC East especially, with everyone that's five and oh georgia kentucky and missouri that's that's unexpected for certain now as far as lsu being three and two i wouldn't have seen that at this point in time in the season and that one loss last week to Ole miss really hurt and a and m they have a lot at stake so they're they need to come out with a lot of juice a lot of energy and if they at any point in time are able to to mash the gas, like you said, get up by 10 or more against Alabama in that game, then I think you could see Alabama rattled but keep their composure. The same way Georgia was able to do in a very raucous Jordan-Harris Stadium. Right. Not that Alabama is playing anywhere near like Georgia has played. But Georgia's getting off to those kind of slow starts and finding a way to pick itself back into the contest. And that's with a a, a young quarterback and just happens to have Brock Bowers, who is the best college football player in America. But the similarities between Alabama and Texas A&M defensively, Texas A&M is not a bad defensive squad. I, I don't think that it's one of Jimbo's best you look at the Aggies giving up 253 yards a game. Alabama giving up almost 300 yards a game. So, A&M statistically is better
2: They're right there than in the same Alabama. ballpark with one another, I think. And look, I think this game could go a couple, either way. I think if Alabama gets up 10 points early, I think Alabama will probably be able to just coast and, you know, manage that time in that game and Go away with it. Same way I think if Texas A&M gets up 10, I think they'll be able to manage it and run away with it. But I do think that if it's close, I think that's when Milrow might start to make some mistakes. Like that Texas game was pretty close, and we saw how Milrow kind of made some mistakes. We saw the offensive line kind of started to give up some sacks. The defense started to kind of give up big plays. I think maybe it's it's like they feel the pressure when the game is close.
1: I think – this is where you actually put the rubber to the road in regards to Miro's progression. Because you have to remember, Nick, that Miro had only, that was his only third career start versus Texas. That's right. And it was at home. But I think he's learned a lot from that. And do I think he throws the interception in Saturday's game? I think there'll be a turnover now. He's whether good that's for
2: one turnover every game, whether minimum. that's a a a
1: blindside hit, sh- strip sack, fumble, or whether it's an interception in and of itself, I know that Alabama has the value, of the pigskin, in order to win it. Now the line starting at the beginning of the week two and a half. Now it's down to one. Wow. So this is a game that could go, like you said, either way from a momentum standpoint and to be dominant. For Alabama, they're just going to have to play great in all three phases, limit the explosive plays, and find a way to go ahead and get that W. Now, two five one six nine four one zero oh five five is how you can call us the old-fashioned way. Two five one six nine yeah,
2: four one zero oh five five. Who, or who else out there uh, believes in the Aggies? I can't be the only one, right? Uh, probably here locally. <laughs> yeah, you think I'm in the a- minority, and, and, huh? Unless, <laughs> unless
1: you do have uh, an Auburn fan or two that that can say look I don't care who Alabama's playing I'm never going to pull for Alabama. So yeah, you probably are in the minority. Oh,
2: and look, think Auburn fans, you saw how you guys lost to Texas A&M. So you know how legitimate Texas A&M is as a team. So you probably think it could happen. I mean, with the betting line being at 1 the public definitely thinks it can happen you know vegas those are the guys that they only make money out there right so i mean we'll see i definitely think it's going to be a really good game yeah it's one
1: that four quarters last year it was a later game and i know that look they made sure you stay glued to your television until the last play of the game it's been that way the last couple of years it goes down to a last second field goal and Alabama is not able to block it. Texas A&M is able to execute and is able to kick that long field goal and here's a here's somebody uh, look, Fedusti, Auburn fan here. Alabama wins the game by a field goal. I respect that. You know, re- look, that that's just calling it like he sees it right yeah. there. Alabama will lose this weekend, then run the table to become the first two-loss team to make the
2: playoffs. That's what another uh. user in the app says. If if they if Alabama loses, I think this game decides who's going to the SEC championship to play Georgia.
1: Ah, not so fast, my Why, friend, who, because you who? still have Texas A&M and LSU looming out there.
2: Yeah, but you don't think if Texas A&M beats Bama, they'll they'll have a little bit of confidence and a little juice to get. We're that talking w? about
1: Jimbo Fisher here, brother.
2: Yeah, I know Jimbo guy that Fisher, Nick Saban. I know who he is. No, I mean just
1: <laughs> his mo when he does beat. Nick Saban what happens after that the Aggies
2: don't turn around and run the table they find a way to choke it up look I had I my preseason pick to go and play in the national championship game or no to make the playoff was LSU and to be the SEC champion was LSU I mean right now what they have one SEC loss to Ole Miss, correct? Yeah, LSU has that one loss. Alabama. No losses. No losses in the SEC. Texas A&M, no losses in the SEC. Correct. So what happens if Texas A&M beats Bama and then LSU beats, well, then LSU and Alabama would play? That yeah, would really so, I mean, you
1: still game. have LSU and Alabama because this whole season people have said, yep, those who who said Alabama's going to lose two games, they said they're going to lose to Texas and or LSU or AM. Yep. Those are going to be their two losses. Not three, but two losses and or. So here it is Alabama, if they're able to run the table and defeat Texas AM, yes, it does put them in the driver's seat, but you still have to worry about Auburn, Edger and Hare, which always gives you problems. Just ask the Georgia Bulldogs about that. Ask what happened the last time Alabama. Played at Jordan Hare State, and we had our first overtime Iron Bowl ever in the history of the Iron Bowl. So, someone says Corey has his Bama shades on. Bama loses, they are done.
2: Guys, Corey always got the Bama shades on.
1: Yes, I do wear my crimson color glasses, but, but he can again, he threw them though. one uh, Exactly. One loss. Heavy tint though. He- there you go. <laughs> one loss still does not eliminate. LSU, one loss still does not eliminate AM, It still does not eliminate Auburn. Or it still does not eliminate Alabama because it's going to boil down to your head-to-head. So depending on how your head-to-head
2: goes, you're just looking for help in the SEC. I mean, we're, g- we're going to be going all the way down to the end of the regular season before we know for sure who is g- getting in there. Now, we know the East is Georgia. But the West, I mean, you got three teams that are all going to be neck and neck all the way up to the end.
1: Going to be fun to watch. That's why you sit on the edge of your seats for four quarters if it is close. And you sometimes you just have to stick and stick around and, and, and hope for some help. If you do lose, if you're A&M, you lose to Bama, you hope Bama trips up and falls somewhere along the line too and it goes back to that head-to-head matchups. But you're exactly right. It does boil down to those head to head matchups. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 returns right after this.
3: This is TJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station, WNSP 105.5. Welcome
2: back to the final drive. Going to be talking a little San Francisco 49ers here in the next segment with Jason Aponte. But look, in the NFL, so over the offseason, the AFC West, you know, that's the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, all those teams made big defensive signings to try and stop Patrick Mahomes, right, as much as you can to beef up their defense, The Raiders signed Chandler Jones, three years, $51 million contract. The Chargers added J.C. Jackson, five years, $82 million contract. The Broncos added Randy Gregory, five years, $70 million contract. Last week, all three of those players have either been cut or traded earlier this week to different teams. Which is crazy. I mean, these guys just got signed there. We're four weeks into the NFL season, and now they've done got the boot. And look, someone who hasn't gotten the boot yet, I know he hasn't played as bad as he did last year, but I mean, look at their record. Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson yesterday on Shannon Sharp's podcast. Marshawn Lynch was on there. I love me some Marshawn Lynch. Skittle man. That's right. He keeps it real. Everyone knows the rumor about Russell Wilson, right? Like him not being approachable, uh, having like his own private office. Well, Marshawn Lynch tells a story about how Russell Wilson had a not so great game and he wanted to call him and, you know, kind of give him some support. Like, hey, man, you know, don't worry about it. If you need anything, I got you. But he couldn't find his phone number. So he had to reach out to the team rep. And then they were like, hey, Russell Wilson is going to call you. This man, Marshawn Lynch, gets a call from a blocked number. Corey, what is up with that?
1: I'm just here so I don't get fined.
2: <laughs> What's up? No, nah, no,
1: nah, they 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 definitely That's listen. That's your quarterback, man. It, it doesn't matter it, when you're Marshawn Lynch. Listen, you 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 would smoke weed before a game. You would drink before a game. You would do whatever you wanted to. But at the end of the day, you would still go into beast mode. That's right. You would produce on the field. And I don't think Russell Wilson wasn't going to chop it up and hang out with Marshawn Lynch. I I bet you he didn't ever even ask that brother for a skittle when he used to come around with bags of skittles. they
2: didn't talk to each other, but that was just a great podcast. We obviously can't play any clips of that. Uh, because of the language, but, I mean, Shannon Sharp said he used to cut it up with John Elway back in the day, and they didn't necessarily live the same type lifestyle, Um, but Marshawn said he just does not mess with that man. But then he goes on, another funny little nugget. He talks about how at Cal, as a freshman, very first practice, they go and give him a rep, a halfback dive up the middle. And he went the wrong way. In your first shot, showing off, he went the wrong way. And Aaron Rodgers did a little no-look behind the back handoff to make sure that Marshawn still got the ball, even though he went the wrong way. Running back coaches were chewing him out, even though he got the touchdown. You're not following the the, the play. You're going the wrong way. You're doing everything willy-nilly. And Aaron Rodgers came in. He said, nah, coach, that was on me. And Marshawn Lynch said he never forgot that.
1: Took one for the team.
2: Yeah, he said that was different. That is different. I mean, you got to look at Aaron Rodgers a little differently after that. Like, that's a cool move right there.
1: He took up for his his California Bear teammate right there. And Jason Aponte up next talking about the San Francisco 49ers.
4: Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5.
1: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And one of the premier matchups in the NFL taking place this weekend is the 49ers versus the Cowboys. The 49ers 4-0, the Cowboys 3-1. And so far this season, the San Francisco 49ers have looked like the best team In the NFL period and I I don't think a lot of people wanted to put the Cowboys as the best team in the NFL before they had a disappointing loss. But so far you look at Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy one game away from the Super Bowl a year ago and Jason Aponte is joining us this afternoon on the Final Drive. And Jason covers the San Francisco 49ers, part of the Niners Nation. And Jason, welcome to the Final Drive, my friend. Thank you for having me, guys. Well, when you look at this 4-0 start by the 49ers, you you, you take away their, them losing three quarterbacks there in the NFC Championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles a year ago. You're looking at possibly a 49ers team that could be looking at back-to-back Super Bowls. And I was a little shocked by what Jerry Jones had to say, his honesty in saying the 49ers, the Super Bowl runs through them. You know
5: what's funny is that's so out of character for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys to be heaping praise on an opponent, let alone someone that they consider a rival. I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory that I believe that Dallas is not trying to give the 49ers any sort of bulletin board material and hoping to lull them into a false sense of security. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. I think there's some mind games being played. Micah Parsons was very effusive with his praise about Brock Purdy. The tone has shifted from the last two times that they faced each other in the playoffs in which Micah Parsons says something to the effect of, where I'm from, the bullies get bullied, and we want the 49ers the next year to kind of seeing that the 49ers have this little petty streak in them after Patrick Peterson in week one kind of called them out and said, I have tells, I have this, I have that. 49ers kind of targeted him. So I I think that's a little bit of gamesmanship, by Dallas, not trying to poke the bear.
1: Well, I know this much. It's going to be a great game on this coming Sunday. Everybody's looking forward to some great weather out there in Santa Clara, California. And, You do look at the play of Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey is that guy, man, to where anybody who plays fantasy football, that's one of their first picks because they know McCaffrey's going to put up major receiving numbers, major rushing numbers. If he has the lineup at quarterback, he can do that too. But McCaffrey's continued to be that consistent player through the first four weeks for the 49ers already having six touchdowns.
5: Yeah, I mean, Christian McCaffrey has taken this offense to a whole new level. Um, it's, been, it's been so cool to see in terms of even when Jimmy Garoppolo was there with him, you could see the gravity and the, and the way that defenses react to him. Now when you have someone who's elevating the offense like Brock Purdy is, two passing, this is what you're going to see is the 30 points games. But it's just, you know, in a game this past week in which McCaffrey scores four touchdowns, to see that the 49ers were able to put up 30 points without Debo Samuel catching a pass, with George Kittle catching one pass for nine yards, it just speaks to the fact that this team is loaded with playmakers. But if need be, you always have that reliable of Christian McCaffrey catching, you know, a pass out of the backfield or taking any run to the house um, for a touchdown, and it's just elevated Kyle Shanahan's offense, which has a reputation of kind of just saying, hey, any running back can get in there and and just put up you know five yards of carry. But look what happens when you get a truly special player. I think that's what you're seeing in this offense.
1: You're also seeing the emergence of a special wide receiver in Brandon Ayuk. And this is the type of numbers picking him out of Arizona State that a lot of people were expecting to see. But this young man's season so far has definitely been special for the 49ers.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kyle Shanahan handpicked him out of ASU. I think a lot of his stock and the reason why he kind of fell by the wayside in the draft is when he went to run and do his 40 he had a core muscle injury that he was dealing with so his 40 number didn't really light people up but when you look at his emergence and the way that he's just ascended his entire career he's always going to be compared with that draft class of cd lamb justin jefferson himself t higgins it's a loaded group and one of my favorite stats to figure out how effective a wide receiver is with his routes is average separation by next-gen stats. It's a, it's, it's a way to describe how far people are away um, in terms of defenders from each, each wide receiver during a target. I think Justin Jefferson is probably the best wide receiver in football right now. He averages 2.6 yards of average separation per target. Brandon Ayuk averages 2.6 yards of average separation per target. I think that speaks to the level and the group that he's pushing himself into this
2: season. 49ers have one of the most dominant defenses in the NFL, if not the most dominant. And now they're playing the Dallas Cowboys, who have one of the most dominant defenses, if not the most dominant. What, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? Who, whose defense is going to be the one to uh, pull out the win for their team, you think?
5: Yeah, that's, that's the, the crux of this game, right? This, this has the makings of a slugfest, right? I don't suspect that the 49ers are going to put up 30 again. I think you see something very similar to what you saw in the divisional game. Defensive struggle, who's going to make enough plays? And I think it all boils down to, right now, health. It sounds like Tyron Smith, their star left tackle, is actually going to be playing in this game um, because he was a full participant today. So that just helps their line. Tyler Smith is a dog as well, a guard they are largely healthy on the offensive line. Now, with the 49ers, they're largely healthy as well, too. But what they've employed right now with Steve Wilkes on on defense is it's not bend but don't break, but it's keep everything in front of you and then rally to the football. You've got guys that are fast. Make sure there's no yards after the catch, but nothing over your head. It's going to be interesting, the chess match between, you know, defensive coordinators, and Dan Quinn knows knows Kyle Shanahan very well. This has the makings of a slugfest 2017-23-20 type of game where whoever makes just enough plays will get it done. I don't suspect that we're going to see the track meet and the amount of points by the two highest scoring offenses in the NFC in this one.
1: Being the 49ers fan that you are and covering them the way that you do on a daily basis, here at South Alabama, we love to to get an update on Darrell Luter Jr. We know he has been on the physically unable to perform list. And do we have any type of update? Is this season going to be a wash for him to just kind of get himself ready? Or can we look for him to possibly return in the postseason?
5: I think the early sentiment was this season may be a redshirt season, but there has been optimism around the building that he may he may be able to come off of um, the pup list during the season. doesn't necessarily have to be the postseason. But as of right now, there hasn't been too much chatter, but there is a sense of optimism around the building that maybe DeVon Luter can be a contributor this season and doesn't even have to be as late as the postseason.
1: One of the big things for the 49ers in the offseason, Jason, was to go ahead and make sure they secured Nick Bosa. And, and Bosa, to me, I don't think he was going to necessarily hold out or, or not play for the 49ers. But it's a deal that you knew was definitely going to get done. It was just going to be a matter of how big that Brink's truck was going to be that backed up to Bosa's bank.
5: Yeah, I, and a lot of people right now have the idea that in their head, you know, only he has only one sack, right? So if people say, hey, he's rounding in the form and everything, I think he's fine. I mean, when you look at 20 pressures, 10 quarterback hurries, it's m- more of the effect that he has and that defensive line has on offensive game plans. Everybody that comes in to play the San Francisco 49ers knows, get that ball out because you cannot be back there. He's still just as good as he's been in terms of, the PFF grade, which he's the highest-graded edge defender in, in football, the sacks are coming. And it's going to come with, you know, this time, and it's just right now it's one of those things where offenses are sitting back and just saying, we're not going to let you get to the quarterback. We're designing everything to get the ball out quickly, and we're going to make sure that we don't put our quarterback in harm's way. But Bosa's as good as ever, and I, I expect the sacks the to just, you know, finally boil over to a, to a point where we, we normally see Nick Bosa.
2: Jason, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, so I have my own personal feelings and vendettas against your head coach.
5: (laughs) Well, I want to ask you, uh, what about Dan Quinn, too? Doesn't he get some of that as well, too? He's involved in this. He's the the Dallas defensive coordinator, too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of odd. It's like... It's like when you date that girl and, man, she, she isn't doing nothing for you. And then all of a sudden she goes and gets the new boyfriend and she's got this nice new job and, you know, she gets, she, her hair is looking better. She's, she's going to the gym. That's what it feels like for me. Uh, I just want to know what is Kyle Shanahan doing, you know, here in San Francisco that maybe he wasn't doing in Atlanta now that he has full reign of the entire team? Well, I think that's,
5: that's really it right there, what you said, like full reign. When you're offensive coordinator, you just have you just have your hands on the offense and what you can call plays on and everything as well, too. Right now, Kyle Shanahan is, is an offshoot of his father, clearly, right? That's his father. But the toughness and being able to run the football, all of those things. But now it's combined with his eye for talent and what he likes. And, and I think a lot of people, what they don't realize is the second half adjustments that get made, Kyle Shanahan's involved in that on defense. Like, he's going over there because, what Kyle is so special at on offense is, is he uses the defense's rules against you, meaning he knows how you've been taught to play something. You're going to, be, you're going to play it the way that you've been coached, but I'm going to construct a route combination that, that's going to make you follow your rules, but I'm using the rules against you. So it's a little bit of everything. I think people don't understand how involved he is all over the place. You know, in halftime, when Steve Wilkes has to make adjustments, He talks to Kyle Shanahan because Kyle Shanahan understands what they're doing on offense and he sees all those things. But it's about the talent level that he's been able to build with John Lynch and just having his hand and instilling that culture. So it's hard to instill a culture when you're just an offensive coordinator, I think. But I think we all knew that he was going to be an offensive mind. The hard part is head coaching and running a whole regime is a completely different ballgame from offensive coordinating. He's doing a great job of that right
2: now. Do you think with Dan Quinn being the defensive coordinator over there in Dallas that maybe he knows a little bit of the secret ingredient to the sauce that Kyle Shanahan's cooking with in San Francisco?
5: A hundred percent. If you, I, I literally just did a film breakdown on the, defensive, uh, the, the divisional game, and Dan Quinn is a master. I mean, I think, again, when you have your mindset on just defense, Dan Quinn, you know, normally day-to-day with Atlanta, you've got to do everything, right? Quality control, this, that, right? Like offense, talk this, talk that. When it's just defense and you can focus in on that, I think this is the mo- the most important matchup on the field. Like, I mean, the players are gonna dictate what happens, but the chess match between Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan is the thing that I will have my eye on, and that's what makes like breaking down film so fun. It's like, okay, I know what you're trying to do here. He knows that I, what I'm trying to do here. Who's gonna blink first and who's gonna make the right move? Dan Quinn against Kyle Shanahan is a lot of fun.
1: It's definitely going to be a lot of fun here on Sunday. And for those Alabama fans that are like, man, I I know Cameron Latu was drafted, and I know he's been injured. You just gave us that update on Darrell Luter. I know Cameron, are they expecting him to come back here within the next few weeks, or will he be sitting out for a while?
5: I think he's probably going to be down for the season. It was a meniscus injury, um, so it, it sounds like it's going to be something that he's going to have to rehab for the entire year. Um, that's, that's the sentiment that I got from it. Um, and it's kind of just been, you know, like when you, when you're put on the IR, I believe, uh, during training camp, I don't think that you can be designated to come back like four or eight weeks. I'm not sure about the rule, but it did sound like Cameron who actually sustained a, a substantial injury this year and he'll be back next season. It sounds like.
1: Well, I know that we're in for a treat on Sunday night. You look at the playoffs, the NFC divisional playoffs last year, 19 to 12 was that final score and it was not dak prescott's greatest day but at the same time the 49ers were able to find a way to get this victory brock purdy being able to sit there sacked a couple of times so do you see a different outcome i know that game was played back in january that divisional playoff game now here it is we're in a new season new team the first month first week in october San Francisco, Dallas kind of scored the same 19-12, to 12, or will there be a little bit more explosive offense?
5: No, I think this is definitely going to be one of those defensive slugfests. I don't think you're going to see a 30-point game out of the 49ers this time. It, you know, 2017, 23-20, something in that realm. Um, I think when you look at what Dallas has been able to do in the offseason, and obviously losing Trevon Diggs for the entire year is a huge blow, but I think a lot of the moves that were overlooked was bringing in a veteran like Stefan Gilmore and the emergence of Bland on the other side. So now your cornerback room well, while it's not, you know, Gilmore and and Trevon Diggs, it's still good with Gilmore and Bland and Michael Parsons has turned his game up to another level. Um, the 49ers right tackle is in for two straight weeks of facing the number 1 and number 2 edge rushers in pressure rate in Michael Parsons this week and next week, Miles Garrett. So this is going to be one of those games where who's going to make enough plays at the end of the game, who can protect the football. If Dak starts to throw those interceptions that we've seen sometimes, that's going to put them behind the eight ball, but it's going to come down to who's playing CRISPR football, who's not making mistakes and who makes just enough plays at the end. I've got the 49ers winning this one, 23 to
1: 20. 23 to 20, uh, epic game. That's going to be played on NBC on Sunday night football and I know that I look forward to seeing your San Francisco 49ers coverage throughout the year as we do have the ties to Mobile and of course the Alabama Crimson Tide and just some good football players there on the 49ers roster. Sprint right option podcast is available. They can follow you at Niners Nation. Let everyone know how they can get in if they're San Francisco 49ers fans or want to get your thoughts and processes on the San Francisco 49ers organization
5: for sure thank you so much again for the invite um yeah ninersnation.com is uh, where you'll see my articles uh, i write daily on there um you can follow me on twitter or x or whatever it is the kids are calling it these days um jay said 2103 and you can find me on YouTube where I do sprint right option and a whole bunch of things throughout the week, uh, breaking down the 49ers. But it was a pleasure talking with you guys again. And, uh, thank you so much for the
1: invite. Jason, always a pleasure. Appreciate you. And we'll see it 2320. I- I'm with you on that. I think the 49ers are going to go ahead and move to five and always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. Jason Aponte joining us this afternoon west coast style nick we went to the west coast offense there and we definitely talked to george teague yesterday getting teague's take on this matchup with the 49ers and cowboys you're rocking with
2: the niners i'm definitely gonna go with the niners i'm rocking with my boys
1: okay Alice. all right final I score there like
2: dan quinn more than shanahan out of the <laughs> anyway.
1: what's the final score nick
2: i'll say 23 to 20 the other way
1: okay all right, so Nick's rocking with the Cowboys, and that'll make some 49ers fans unhappy. But the Cowboy, hey, hey look, that's right my now, Super Bowl champions, right there, man. Hey, I'm with you now. If that's who you're with, pull with them to the end. We'll see if Dak does Dak things, or what we'll be talking about on Monday's Final Drive. We appreciate you for tuning in to the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, this is Adair Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP.
1: Welcome back to the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. We were talking to Jason Aponte with the Niners Nation, and Super Bowl is... Fastly approaching halftime show at Super Bowl. Supposed to be done by Usher. But, Nick, you think a conspiracy
2: theory yeah, may it. be out there. Put your conspiracy theory hats on, guys. The NFL, here's an update. The NFL pushed its TV networks, NBC, CBS, Fox, and ESPN, to run free Taylor Swift movie promos this past week. NBC and ESPN ended up doing it, airing these commercials for this Taylor Swift concert film unpaid just cuz it's Taylor Swift. Some TV execs are speculating that the NFL's end goal is to get Taylor Swift for the Super Bowl halftime show. Now I don't know they already said it's Usher, right? Yeah, 3 times. I, I we all know the songs. <laughs> But I'm telling you, if Taylor Swift said, you know what, I'll do it, Usher gone. They'll they'll kick Usher right out, and they they won't even second-guess it, man.
1: Taylor Swift 2025 Super Bowl, not 2024.
2: Does this make you think that maybe the relationship is all fabricated? Because now we see Taylor... You know, getting the NFL <laughs> fans, trying to get the getting the free publicity for her movie. We see Travis Kelsey and his brothers' podcast being the number one podcast. Or is it just what happens when you're two stars like it, that together? It's what happens
1: when you're two superstars. The people, Entertainment Tonight, so TMZ, everybody clamors for it. So that's exactly what's happening. People are clamoring for it. But Taylor Swift, uh, 2025, not. Usher's going to do 2024 Super Bowl halftime show coming to you by Usher for sure. T- we'll she'll see. be seen in the audience, but other than that, that's about it. Tommy Bowden coming up next. Don't want to miss him.
0: The Sound of Mobile presents... For the win! The final drive. Oh, no,
1: they didn't. Oh, my
0: gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. For the win! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable.
1: Welcome back to hour number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And if you haven't downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, Make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device that you may have because we'd love to correspond with you here on the final drive. We'd love to get your comments. And you can also chime in on the opening kickoff or the Pigskin Pete scoreboard show on Friday nights and give us updates at the high school football game that you're located or give us an opportunity to to hear from you on a daily basis on that free sound of mobile app and someone we love to hear from whether it's football season or not is not too often you get a chance to talk to someone who is the coach of the year in two different conferences conference usa coach of the year in 1998 and two-time acc coach of the year in 99 and 03 tommy bowden our next guest here on the final drive how's it going coach Uh, good afternoon doing doing good Always great to talk to you and we'll jump right into the South Alabama Louisiana Monroe game. I know last year you were right here in Mobile, Alabama watching your brother play at Hancock Whitney Stadium against the Jaguars and here it is a year later South Alabama's returning the favor going back to ULM. ULM 2 and 2, South Alabama 2 and 3. I know you'll probably be watching this matchup and may even be attending the game.
6: I'm not going to tell it. I'm going to watch it, though. I can find it's on ESPN Plus or one of those ESPNs. Whatever it's on, I'm going to find it and watch it.
1: Hey, look, when you look at what your brother's been able to achieve at ULM, I know it always has to be exciting to see him continue to scratch that coaching itch and continue to make that positive influence over the young people there at Louisiana Monroe.
6: Yeah, you know, he's still the. He got out originally. Left, I think Auburn about. He was 44 years old. Went to TV for about 10 years, and then that 10 years that he missed. I got out at 54, so the 10 years that he missed, he wanted to get He wanted to get back in. It still had the itch. So uh, he's uh, that's that's kind of why he's still in it and. Uh, I thought he had that game last week at Appalachian State. Made me sick to my stomach to see how he lost that game.
1: Yeah, it was a heartbreaking Sunbelt Conference loss for Tommy uh, Terry Bowden. And, and I, I will say this about your own head coaching career. You're one of the few that can relate and see what it means to be on both sides of that Iron Bowl rivalry you were the running backs coach at Auburn wide receivers coach at Alabama turned around and were the OC at Auburn again so I know when you look at the schools that you've had an opportunity to be a part of all these schools this year are back to football relevancy when I'm talking about Florida State being ranked in the top four again. Auburn bouncing back with Coach Freeze. You look at Duke and them having the first-ever game day appearance with a Mobile, Alabama native quarterback in Riley Leonard and Kentucky off to that 5-0 and start. And Tulane coming out ranked in the top 25. These are schools in Clemson and Dabo Swinney continuing to make noise and give opponents all they can handle. All these schools are near and dear to your heart that you've had an opportunity to see what the culture is there.
6: Yeah. You'd like to see the percentages of all those teams, Having the success they are, because usually it goes in cycles, and usually you know Florida State's up, and you know Tulane might be down, Tulane might be down, Duke might. But what you just, and I never thought about it until you just ran those those programs off and the success they're having, and it is amazing because. The Duke, with the, with the academic restrictions, makes it really, really tough. Even Tulane, some of their academic restrictions. So for all of those guys that have success at the same time, it's, it's quite unusual.
1: Well, I know that when you do look at Florida State and what your dad meant to not only that state, But to FSU and the continued lives that he was able to make a difference in during his time at Florida State, it's kind of great to see Florida State and LSU get the football season started and all the hoopla that's been going around Florida State. But Florida State, you were talking about close games and games that will make you sick. Boy, Florida State fans were, have almost been sick the last couple of weeks when you look at the <laughs> Boston College scare and then the scare that they had against Dabo Swinney and the Tigers.
6: It really You know, and they really haven't played a full 60 minutes. You know, it's hard to, for a team to, to, to put something together for that length of time. There's many things that can go wrong during the game, but. They have really not played a complete game. They played a good half. They played a good quarter, but it's going to be anxious to see when and if they can do that. And if they if they can do that, then I think they deserve to be where they are. But if they continue to struggle, I'm sure they're going to fall. But the, Mike Norvell has done a good job, and in at least for the last year and a half, they have continued to make improvement. And if they do, with Jordan Travis at quarterback and the, and the depth they have on defense, some of the skill they have. Uh, they really have the potential to to be a playoff contender if they can kind uh, of uh, escape those close games and, and not have what you just mentioned.
1: We're speaking with Tommy Bowden, our guest this afternoon on the Final Drive. He is the coach of the year in Conference USA in 1998, two-time ACC coach of the year in 99-03. and 03. And, Coach, your Tulane team in 98 goes 12-0, and 0, not even invited to the big dance. And I know now the college football playoffs are expanding to 12 games next year. And not only that, you're looking at – Conferences continue to dissolve right in front of your eyeballs, and you have Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. Did you ever think that you would see the state of college football being where it is now? Not only from a playoff standpoint, but from a conference standpoint, also.
6: The, the conference thing has it's really been amazing. You, you can you could possibly see in the future some some conference realignment. Well the ACC does what they did, go out and take in, uh, Stanford and some West Coast teams, and then also the Big Ten does the same thing with Southern Cal, Oregon. And even the SEC, they they kind of started it all when they, they raised the Big 12 and took, arguably, right now, the two, two of the top teams in the nation, and especially two of the top in the Big 12. It's really been amazing. Conference realignment did not surprise me, but the way they have really... Uh, geographically change the alignment, uh, I think it's really going to, uh, in the long run, will put a burden on some of these conferences, especially financially and, and with travel.
1: I tell you, not only financially and travel, boy, oh boy, I know you're glad you got out of it when you did, because now the transfer portal and NIL have totally changed the game. Coach, what would you do if all 85 of your scholarship athletes could get a leased vehicle from one of the local car dealerships, (laughs) wouldn't that be okay, Coach? Would would you be opposed to that? or What do you think about that, Coach? Lease vehicles for all 85 scholarship football players.
6: (laughs) You you know, I was really surprised. I went back last year for the 25th reunion of that undefeated Tulane team. I I was talking to some of the administrators there, and I was really surprised, number one, it's the amount of NIL money that that they had available for, for their athletes and then a lot of my players that I saw that came back with their union said, "Coach, you're lucky we didn't have to transfer the transfer portal <laughs> when you coach, because most of us would have been gone. Because the coaching styles were different back then; they were a lot more aggressive, and you're not allowed to do that today. I think Coach Saban might be experiencing some of that, but he he kind of refound his fire." last week against Mississippi State on the sideline. with the NIL, the transport portal, has really made the game different. And, and like that, the, the monetary things you can give them now Uh, Even make it that much more difficult.
1: It really does. It has changed the game and it's going to continue to change the game. And let me get your thoughts. Anything that happens in college is going to trickle down to high school. And to me, high school is the purest form of amateurism that they're supposed to be allowed. But now you see some states, Georgia here bordering the state of Alabama, now getting ready to regulate nil in high school what are your thoughts about a 15 16 17 year old making more money than the principal superintendent and his teachers
6: you know one of the things that i go back to and i was on a radio show not long ago up in the northeast and we got to talking about this and i think one of the things you asked is where are the parents when all this is going on you know if anybody could 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 set some standards at least within the family structure, it ought to be the mom and the dad. and said, listen, son, you're 15 years old. I'll handle your finances. You don't need help from outside sources. And uh, even with the transfer portal with players leaving, you, 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 you kind of ask yourself sometimes, where's the, the involvement of the parents some setting some kind of guideline and standards? The heck with the NIL, the heck with state laws and, and government laws or federal laws, but what about the structure of the family? Uh, unfortunately, that's, I think, been the biggest breakdown and, and ones that affected the NIL and the transfer
1: portal more than anything. Well, i tell you, Coach Tommy Bowden joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And we've talked about transfer portal. We've talked about NIL. You briefly mentioned, Coach Saban, big-time Crimson Tide matchup on the road At Texas A&M, not an easy place to play, home of the 12th man. What are your predictions for the Alabama A&M game coming up?
6: i tell you, the way A&M has played recently, I know they lost a quarterback, but they've got an experienced guy that's filling in. I think the biggest uh, uh, difference maker in this game is going to be the Texas A&M defense and how they're playing. They've got some big front defense alignment that can match up against the offensive line of Alabama. And, and I see a lot closer game than I think maybe some people anticipate. But it, it's just hard to, to bet against Coach Saban going in that type of environment. And uh, Jimbo's got his number. He's beaten him once at A&M. And uh, I, I think it's highly possible. I just don't think it's likely it will happen. I, I do see a close game, but I think a field goal, you know, ten t- t- points or less of victory by Alabama is what, what I see.
1: Tommy Bowden, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 and talk everything from your brother to the schools that you've coached at to the NIL and transfer portal as well. Always great catching up with you and look forward to talking to you again very soon. Hey,
6: go Warhawks.
1: There it is, Coach Bowden Bullet <laughs> boys, brother. You got to love it family over everything right there Nick Wiggins and his brother has taken on the South Alabama Jaguars this weekend and ULM 10 point dogs in that game we'll see how that happens and winds up Lindsey Crosby will join us on the other side of this break on the final drive covering Major League Baseball we have the wild card playoffs that wrapped up last night and it was a clean sweep for four teams. We'll talk with Lindsey Crosby about that.
2: I don't get baseball. How are you having a, a big playoff type game on a Wednesday at two? You get it in. Two games, you get it in.
1: You get in and you get out. That's what it's all about, Nick. I get in so. and get out.
2: I guess so. Not necessarily
1: the ratings. I won't be not going in, people... stay out. <laughs> I hear you. Lindsey Crosby Joining us next to talk Major League Baseball playoffs.
3: Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP.
1: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I call it the hunt for red October and you can get red hot in October swinging the bats. The Atlanta Braves swung the bats at a historic proportion this season in Major League Baseball, and our baseball go-to is Lindsey Crosby. He is always locked on the farm, covering minor league baseball. He does the Auburn Daily, covering Auburn collegiate baseball. And at Braves today, the Atlanta Braves got an opponent that they – Knew that they probably would be seen in the Philadelphia Phillies, but there was some history made on yesterday. For the first time in Major League Baseball history, there were four sweeps in the opening round of the playoffs of the wild card series. And Lindsey joins us now. Lindsey, how's everything going, my brother?
4: Uh, it's going well, except for the fact that there was four sweeps yesterday, and that means there's no baseball today. I needed one team to make it a three-game series to have something to watch tonight.
1: Hey, they definitely <laughs> wanted to give those those pitchers an opportunity to rest those arms who had a chance to to participate. But when you do look at those... Sweeps. It, it, not really any surprises because I told my partner yesterday, Nick Wiggins, for the Tampa Bay Rays or the Tampa Rays, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. They get off to that 13-0 and start, not able to finish and get eliminated early.
4: Yeah, and for, for Tampa, it was really a couple of things. One, the offense just didn't show up like we've seen all year. They've been able to score runs seemingly at will, and they promoted top prospect Junior Caminero, hoping that that would work and it wasn't enough. But then the other part is defensively they kind of collapsed. And when you take a, your starting shortstop out of the lineup, two-thirds of the way through the season with the whole situation with Wander Franco, it has a cascade effect on the entire roster where maybe you're moving your second baseman and Taylor Walls over to short, and so now your defense is not as good at short and not as good at second, and so the bats didn't show up at the right time, the defense didn't show up at the right time, and that's one of the risks that you have when you you're in a three-game series. It's such a small sample size that Anything can happen, one bad game, two bad games, and all of a sudden you're at home.
1: Yeah, I know they've had to overcome a lot of injuries there after that first month and a Uh, half of the season and just weren't able to do that. And now when you do look at the Atlanta Braves taking on the Philadelphia Phillies, the Braves win 104 games, Philly wins 90, and now you're in the NLDS. Will the Braves have enough pitching and will the bats come alive for Atlanta in the postseason?
4: This matchup is really one of those where you almost kind of have to ignore the records of the two teams, right? And it's because, one, there's so much history between these teams. Like, there's so much backstory between the Phillies knocking out the Braves last year, the Braves dominating this year. But then also, since the beginning of June, these have been the two best teams in baseball from a win loss perspective, from a run scored perspective. And so, Atlanta. Yes, they have the advantage. They have home-to-advantage. They also have more questions about their pitching. You touched on the health there. Max Freed pitched in a simulated game with a bandage over his blistered finger. He says he'll be fine to pitch without it for Game 2 on Monday. But the question you have is, can he come back on regular rest for Game 5 if you need to? And then for Philadelphia, do like what do they do in game one? Because they had to throw Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler to get past the Marlins. And so for game one, they're not going to have their two stud pitchers available. They have to do something different. So can they find somebody who can hold serve while the Braves are throwing Spencer Strider and try to steal one of those two games in Atlanta so that they can hopefully go back to Philadelphia and win the series there. That's what worked for them last year, but Atlanta had some extenuating circumstances around their pitching. So, probably the best matchup of the entire postseason is coming right here in the NLDS this weekend.
1: All right. Who do you like in this Arizona Dodgers series? For me, it's going to be the Dodgers. It's something where the Dodgers have a
4: little bit more questions about the depth of their pitching. They've gone it with a lot of rookies this year. Bobby Miller is going to be probably their game two starter. He's a rookie. Ryan Pepio, probably the game three starter. But the Dodgers have. One of the best players in baseball, in Mookie Betts probably would be your MVP if Ronald Acuna Jr. did not have the year he had. And then LA has the experience; they've done this before. Whereas this Arizona team is, in their minds, kind of a year ahead of schedule. Right? They've done a, they had a lot of reliance on a lot of rookies, like a Corbin Carroll, who's been amazing, a Jake McCarthy, and Alec Thomas. They started 24 year old Brandon Fott in Game One of the postseason. So. I like L.A. because they're rested, because they have the experience. But this is going to be a pesky Diamondbacks team for a while in the future because the entire core of this team is under the age of 30, and they're all playing fantastic. I just don't think it's enough to beat the Dodgers this year.
1: All right, Lindsay, you got a full slate. Of Saturday baseball if you're a baseball fanatic like you are Texas Baltimore Minnesota Houston Philly Atlanta Arizona and the Dodgers all coming on Saturday so that that's just great Days of baseball ahead. October is here. Winter go home time is here. And we'll see here for the Atlanta Braves, especially if that rest has paid off and whether they're going to go ahead and capitalize off a historic season and make all these Braves fans here along the Gulf Coast very happy. And we'll see here also if your World Series prediction range true as well. And, how can people reach out and, and catch all of your minor league baseball coverage, your major league baseball coverage, and your Auburn baseball coverage, who they do play a little fall exhibition as well?
4: Yeah, uh, so that is all. the hub for everything is on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. But like you said, minor league baseball, Locked on MLB Prospects, wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, the college baseball. AuburnDaily.com, the Major League Baseball, Bravestoday.com, and to everybody who's listened, who's read, all of those things. uh, I was just named the Prospect Amateur and College Writer of the Year by the Baseball Writers Association of America, so thank you. Um, Very excited for that, and plan to keep it going all fall and all spring.
1: Lindsey, always appreciate your time and your terrific Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, and Auburn Baseball coverage. You're definitely my baseball go-to guy. <laughs> Lindsey Crosby, you definitely want to follow him at CrosbyBaseball on X or Twitter or whatever you like to call it nowadays. <laughs> so, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to talking to you next week.
4: Thanks, Corey. Y'all have a good weekend.
1: Do the same. Lindsey Crosby on the final drive with us this afternoon. And coming up next, we'll have Steve Dickey, the head coach of Coastal Alabama's volleyball program in Bruton, joining us along with Jaden Voysett. He's a starting safety for the South Alabama Jaguars. You don't want to miss those two interviews. And at 5 and 5.30, we have our Gulf Coast Auto Tech tide and tiger report Rodney Orr and philip dukes will be joining us you're listening to the final drive on wnsp 105.5 hey this is julian zeus mcclerkin with the world famous harlem globe Charters, and my favorite station is wnsp sports radio 105.5 fm Welcome back to the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. I want to welcome in Steve Dickey. He is the head volleyball coach Coastal Alabama Bruton. and the Coyotes, currently third in the South Division at 5 and 3-11 and 11 overall. Coach, welcome in to the Final Drive.
7: Nick, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you with you this afternoon.
1: Coach, let's jump right into it. Conference plays going on. How are the Coyotes doing as far as in third place, but the upcoming opponents that they'll be facing? Maybe they'll get a chance. You guys will be able to get back and catch a couple of places to where you're jumping to first place in that Southern Division.
7: Yeah, it would it would be great to to do that. Unfortunately, with um, the way they've they, um, – restructured the the conference this year with the North and South. With only being six teams in the South, um, you only have ten conference matches. And so we've already gotten our eight. um, And unfortunately, we we were 12 by by LBW, so we can't catch them, but we could get some help and um, beat Enterprise at home, and Enterprise loses someone else, and we could catch them to, to jump to second. But Unfortunately, first is out of out of the reach for us right now. But we're going to keep working hard. And uh, Wednesday we got a big conference match with Bishop State. We were fortunate to beat them down there at their place in five sets. And hopefully we can take care of business Wednesday to to go to six and three in the conference going into our last conference match with Enterprise, the last week of the season.
1: Coach Steve Dickey, he's the head coach of Coastal Alabama Bruton's volleyball program. You mentioned that big matchup with Bishop State coming up. Where and at what time is that game? Because I know for fans that do love great volleyball, they can check that out.
7: Absolutely, we will be at home um, next Wednesday uh, at five o'clock, and it'll be a big match for us and for them. Uh, they're they're vying for a spot um, for the conference uh, tournament as well. The the top four teams in the North and the South will make the conference tournament. However, the number four team in the north and the number four team in the south will actually have a one-match playoff to get into the tournament because um, Mississippi does not have their own conference, so to speak, so they are grouped with us. So the Mississippi champion will come over on our side So uh, we're hoping to at least continue on with that third spot, if not moving up to that second spot so we don't have to do that play-in match. But back to your question um, about the the match, again, it's next Wednesday um, on the Bruton campus at 5 o'clock.
1: Can't wait to catch you guys in action there against Bishop State Community College next Wednesday there on the campus on the Bruton campus, that is, and if people want to reach out to you because there's you, you only a one person, if they have a, a daughter who is interested in playing for Coastal Alabama, would like to try out, would like to send you film, would like more information about Coastal Alabama Community College Bruton volleyball, women's volleyball, how can they reach out to you and get in touch with you?
3: It's
7: very simple. We're we're they can go to our website and and uh, check my email address. But it's easy. It's Steve at CoastalAlabama.edu, and uh, I would love to to talk with um, with any parent or student athlete or uh, about about the possibility of them continuing their playing career at Coastal Alabama. A lot of good things are happening there um, with some gym renovations and uh, we've redone our floor. And uh, it, it's really becoming a, a nice facility um, for college volleyball. And, and the level in junior college volleyball these days is, is really elevated, really been elevated over the last, I'd say, six to seven years. Lots of girls are playing, and, and I'm thankful for the opportunities that they're able to have. You know, we get 14 scholarships, so we have 14 girls from, from really all over Alabama and have a even have a girl from Mississippi and uh, Louisiana on the squad.
1: So volleyball year-round successful here not only mcgill Tulane, spanish ford all around Mobile and Baldwin County there's some great volleyball and again if you want an opportunity to play and continue that career make sure you reach out to head coach Steve Dickey Coastal Alabama Community College Bruton joining us this afternoon thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us and talk about the Lady Coyotes volleyball program wish you the best next week in your upcoming matches and look forward to talking to you again soon
7: Thank you so much for having
1: me. Steve Dickey joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And coming up next, we'll talk to Jaden Voison starting safety for the South Alabama Jaguars as their matchup is coming up with Louisiana Monroe. You heard Tommy Bowden said, go Warhawks. No, I think Voison will have something to say about that. We'll hear from him next here on the final drive.
0: Hey, this is Bucket Blakes from the
3: world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile.
1: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday afternoon in South Alabama Jaguars. They have some business at hand in front of them taking on Louisiana Monroe on Saturday, and we're joined by Jaden Voison And Jaden has done a tremendous job for the South Alabama Jaguar defense so far. Has 30 tackles on the season, one forced fumble, and one interception. Jaden, welcome to the Final Drive.
8: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Jayden, I tell you, we were talking to Pat Greenwood yesterday, and we know what you guys, the South Alabama Jaguar football team, is capable of doing as far as a four-quarter dominant performance. We saw that when you guys went to Stillwater in Oklahoma, and we saw you guys play for a great quarter against Central Michigan, jumping up 14-0. to We've seen you guys battle with Tulane, and this past week, I know, was tremendously disappointing, but... I know this defense is continuing to learn from its mistakes, turning those into lessons, and Sunbelt Conference play against Louisiana Monroe. Big-time matchup for you guys on Saturday.
8: Absolutely. You know, we just, as a defense, we're trying to stay consistent and just do our job and, you know, get, get us off the field to put our offense back on there. And like I said, you had to stay consistent.
1: I know that you've had an opportunity every single year. Last year, you wound up having 80 total tackles, 44 of those solo, and continuing to grow in this defensive system this year. Talk about your comfort level within this South Alabama defense and the leader that you're becoming as a junior.
8: Oh, absolutely. You know, coming coming in my second year, Taking like your starting in that role is, is nice and very comfortable because I'm playing around, you know, everyone everyone besides, you know, Darrell Luter who's now with the forty ers So everyone around me is I'm familiar with and you know, I trust everybody out there. So it just helps me do my job even to a higher level.
1: Let me ask you this when you do see a game, go back, watch film like you guys had against Oklahoma State And you guys have the disappointing home loss um, the very following week. I know that Coach Womack has continued to preach consistency, but what do you think it's going to take just to really break through and kick the walls down and find that level of consistency that you know is in that room because you guys can win the Sunbelt Conference Championship. It's just a matter of being consistent.
8: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think the main thing is all of us believing that we can play that that same football football we played in Stillwater and play like that week in and week out against whoever the opponent is. Um, you know, we can't win into Stillwater knowing we're the underdog in a sense, but played like we weren't the underdog. And I think we need to go into every game thinking people people are doubting us to win the game and I think we'll play play to our standard.
1: We're talking to Jaden Voice, and he plays safety for the South Alabama Jaguars, part of that secondary. And I know it's so easy to get caught looking into the backfield or getting caught looking at that eye candy sometimes. And I know that's one of the things that Coach Womack has continued to preach to you guys about just reading your keys, staying disciplined. And I know that the improvement will continue to be there by the entire secondary of this defense.
8: Oh yes, in practice, you know, that's we're stressing eye discipline. Um, every week, we're getting better with our eyes, but you know, there's still some some things we gotta work on. But yeah, every every day we're working on our eyes, and you can tell every every time every time we work on it, gets better and better. So that's always great to see.
1: Now, one of the things that was very unfortunate is your brother goes down with a knee injury early in the season, and uh, it was on that far sidelines in a game and just came down and, and I guess his ACL and let everybody know who your brother is and and what it is like to have not only brothers on the team, but literally a twin on the team.
8: Yeah. um, You know, playing with Devin uh, ever since I was growing up, we played on the same team every year for 10 plus years. And, you know, him going down this year, him being the you know come incoming leading receiver for us last year, you know that 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 is a big hurt for our team. Um, but you know there's people people stepping up in his role. You know he's being a being a good leader, trying to help those guys step up. So you know he's taking on the role as as a as being a good teammate now that he's not able to play. So that's just the type of guy that that's on our team that we're playing with.
1: Well, let's look at going back to what you used to do in high school i know you were a multi-sport athlete there at your time in crestview played a little wide receiver played a little defensive back you ran some track and field and played some basketball too now coach riley hasn't hasn't reached out to you to see if you have any eligibility to help him out has he say
8: that again i'm sorry i couldn't hear
1: that's all right coach coach riley hasn't reached out to you at all to see if you're ready to use your hoop eligibility as well, because I know you were a hooper in high school.
8: Yeah, sadly not, sadly
1: not. <laughs> now, you also ran a little track and field in high school. How does track and field, how has that helped you coming, making that transition from high school to college, and do you still have any desires to to show your blazing speed to Paul Bruschi, the the current track coach at South Alabama?
8: You know, in high school, uh, it it helps you you with your stamina and, you know, going out on that field, you know, competing, because, you know, track is a 1v1, so you're just constantly competing, but, you know, sadly, sadly, I'm not the same size as I was in high school, so gained a little more weight, a little bit heavier, so I'm not the same, same, uh, same speed as I was in high school, but if I was, I would definitely be reaching out to the track coach.
1: I got you. Jaden Voicing, our guest here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5, strong, starting strong safety for South Alabama. And you guys are taking on Louisiana Monroe, a, a place where South Alabama has never won before. And it's kind of a bring-your-own-energy type atmosphere, nowhere near like what it is at Hancock-Whitney Stadium or like you got a chance to see in New Orleans at Tulane, what are some of the keys that this defense has to do or the Jaguars in general have to do in order to defeat Louisiana Monroe?
8: Like you said, you know, you have to bring your own energy. Um, it's going to be us there and just us only. So as a defense, we just got to go in and know we can dominate and play the football. We We all know that we can play. Um, you know, just beat the guy across from you every play you can. Um, Coach Womack had a had a good saying. And he said, "You know, treat treat every play like it's the most important play." So we've really been stressing to do that, and you know, we have a lot on the line, and we all know that. and well, we're going to go out there and try and do our best.
1: I know wanting to get those turnovers or something that is really being stressed, and getting home, getting sacks in the backfield, and a lot of that comes with coverage sacks. If you're able to cover your wide receivers up, it, it allows guys to put more pressure on Louisiana Monroe, so I know that's a point of emphasis going into this week also.
8: Absolutely. You know, we got to play comp- complimentary football, so if if we're doing a good job covering covering these guys, that that gives the D line more time to, you know, get back there and do their job. You know, the D line getting back there doing their job. Uh Astor helps us in coverage so we don't have to guard as long and it's just you know, play, pretty much playing with each other. That's that's a big key. That's a big key for us.
1: Teamwork is always going to make that dream work. Jaden Voicing, he is a safety for the South Alabama Jaguar defense. And Jaden, I, I mentioned earlier about your twin brother that you have on the team. What kind of, what kind of, what brought you to South Alabama from Crestview? What, what interested you the most about this South Alabama Jaguar program?
8: You know, I, we, we looked into it, it's a, it's a, it was an upcoming program. Uh, it came into the uh, FBS, uh, the Sun Belt, and you know we, we wanted to be part of something, something you know that was on its way on the grow, and it also, it also helped that you know our older brother Keon Boyson, was here before us and helped us make our decision to help our family. You know, come come to one one game instead of going everywhere across the United States. So yeah, I just we, when we came here first time to visit. Uh it was it was great. We, you know, fell in love with it and it made our decision so much easier.
1: Well, if you had to think so far in your career, like I say, each and every year you've continued to increase not only your playing time but your tackles. So far suiting up for the Jaguars, what what one moment shines for you since you've put on that Jaguar helmet and uniform?
8: Um, I would say getting that ten wins last year. Um, you know, it was the first time it's it's been like that in program history, and it was just—it was just great to be a part of that because of the, you know, the, the few years before that, you know, we struggled and we all had a, had an end goal, and you know, it is to win conference championship, but we got to a goal that never happened, and I was just—that was just um, taking.
1: Jaden Voice and our guest here on the Final Drive on WNSP one hundred five point five. What kind of hobbies do you have? We've talked to your quarterback and we've also talked to sheriff and you look at quentin wilfon they say they like to fish and some of them sheriff says he likes to get on that video game and fish as well what does Jaden voice and do in his off time or in the off season to pass the time up
8: yeah so in the off time you know definitely playing video games is is a big thing Um, i like to you know go Go to different places. Uh, go to Nashville with, with a lot of my friends from back home because that's a that's like a meet in the middle area. We we love going there. Um, but in the, in the off season, an everyday thing would be CrossFit. You know, um, we grew up doing CrossFit. helped us helped us get in shape. And you know, it's just it's just so, it's just something we do every time we go back home. And that's that's a big off season thing for me.
1: Staying physically fit is Jaden Voice, and he's the starting safety for the South Alabama Jaguars. Jaden, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on WNSP 105.5 to talk about the preparation for ULM and what it would mean for that program moving forward. I know you guys have talked about your goals of winning that Sunbelt Conference Championship still being in front of you And it definitely starts this coming Saturday with a divisional conference game against ULM. And all I can say is, Jays Up, wish you the best this weekend and come back to Mobile with that victory.
8: Yes, sir. Jays Up, and thank you for this.
1: Jaden Voisin joining us this afternoon on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And Nick, they're ten point favorites at ULM, which is a place they've never won before. So like Pat Greenwood said, what, what? like Voice said, bring your own energy to that game. What
2: is what is ULM's record? ULM is two and two. Uh that that look, I, I'm gonna be honest, I haven't watched a down of ULM football, but having South Alabama as that large of a favorite you know, coming off a couple tough games. Well, here's here's the downs You're that
1: I watched I of ULM football. Okay, They played Texas A&M, and they lost 47-3. to three. So got a chance to really see them play against the Aggies, and that game didn't start off in slobber-knocker fashion for the Aggies. You look at the heartbreaking loss to App State by one point a week ago. That puts them at 2-2. Two and two. They have defeated – army and they also were able to come away with the win over lamar so you're, you're still at two and two but you mentioned the jags 10 point favorites that means look the potential is there but south alabama's got to put four quarters together in order to come away with a huge conference win
2: that's right i mean they got to if they want to get that Sun Belt championship i mean you got to be as close to perfect as you can be the whole rest of the season. So, Yeah, the margin for error is, is slim to none. Even
1: though right. you look at James Madison being in a different division within the Sun Belt Conference, it's still one of those you cannot get behind in your own division, and you still control your own destiny. And Jaden is he's continued to, to grow and has continued to become better as a safety for South Alabama. So looking forward to seeing how the Jaguars wind up doing this weekend on the road at ULM before they get a week and a half off and they play a Tuesday night game on ESPN, which is very rare for you to see. 6 o'clock p.m. kickoff that will happen there. But you have to go 1-0 and this week, and we'll see if South Alabama is able to do that.
2: That's right, and look, we're gonna have a couple Tuesday night games from here on out. Wednesday night games, even. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure the only day without a football game in college and NFL is November 22nd. Hey, it's coming right before Thanksgiving, and tonight on the NFL,
1: Washington and Chicago play one another. Gus.
0: This is the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Nick.
1: Welcome to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5 Corey Labonte and Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday afternoon and as we were waiting in between hours on the break, if you're a football fanatic TMZ reporting that Dick Butkus has passed away at the age of 80, one of the greatest linebackers of all time in the NFL and The Buckus Award winner in college football for the nation's best linebacker has come through Tuscaloosa a time or two, just like Rodney Orr from Titer Insider. He covers the Alabama Crimson Tide on a daily basis and does a tremendous job. Always a pleasure to have the founder of Titer Insider with us, Rodney Orr. How's it going, my friend? Corey, it's going well. How are you? Absolutely. Too blessed to be stressed and always great to talk Alabama Crimson Tide football with you. And Alabama coming off a great win this past week against their arch rival, Mississippi State. You look at Alabama being able to come away 40 to 17 winners. It's kind of what you expected to see by Alabama, probably Would have liked to have seen Miro throw the ball a little bit more. But you take what the defense gives you. And overall, Alabama, a tremendous win in Starkville.
9: Yeah, I think going on the road any time you do that in the SEC it's certainly uh, you know, big to come away with the win and you know, it's a great opportunity because I think it gives uh, you know, not only Milro but the entire team a chance to go on the road against a, a, a team at night and play uh, you know, an SEC game and it kinda sets the table I think a little bit for this week's road trip to college station because I think it's gonna be a really, really big challenge. I kinda pointed to two games early in the year that would kind of determine maybe the direction of Alabama season. And the first one didn't go as well. And that's the Texas game early. And I thought Texas was catching Alabama at the perfect time. And now the next one is this game coming up Saturday. It's a road game. It's an SEC game. It's a game that could certainly go a long way in deciding the West. So, uh, even though there's a lot of games left after this one, I think this is a really key game in terms of determining maybe the direction that uh, if you want to look at it from Alabama's perspective. But you could also say Texas A&M's as well.
1: Well, Rodney, one of the things that people have talked about since SEC media days where the media picked Alabama to win the SEC West over the LSU Tigers how many times can Alabama trip up and fall in the SEC West? Is it is it once? Is it twice? Because, you know, you can't take away the fact that Texas was better than Alabama was, and they, they won that game outright, came into T-Town and took it. Now, LSU losing to Ole Miss... That kind of was a shocker. But when you do look at Texas A&M in the past, they've been able to beat Alabama a couple of years ago on that last second field goal. And Alabama still finds a way to find itself playing in the college football playoffs. So what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that you can either lose this one and or the LSU game and still have an opportunity there to sit right there where you want to in the SEC West.
9: Well, I mean, it's possible because I think Texas A&M has a really tough schedule coming up too. So they're going to play some challenging games on the road, whether it's Ole Miss, Tennessee, you know, some other games that they have. Going to be real challenging for them. Uh and, you know, LSU obviously has a loss in the league already to uh Ole Miss and you know, they could lose more. Uh so I mean it could be wild before it's all done in terms of the West and who represents the West in Atlanta and, and Alabama certainly, you know, could probably lose this game and still have, you know, life in terms of making the SEC championship game. But uh, you know, again, I think what Alabama fans are looking at is Hey, you know we we want to play for the national championship. Uh, this team, we we, we want to go into Atlanta with no more losses than what we have right now with Texas. So Alabama fans aren't really kind of plotting it out in that way, Corey. You know how it is. Uh, they they want to they want to go into the SEC championship game and then have a great shot at the, the playoffs and, and and potentially the national championship.
1: Well, you also have a new quarterback, Max Johnson, no stranger to the Alabama Crimson Tide, having seen action while he was the quarterback at LSU, but a different dimension that Connor Wegman brought versus Max Johnson. Not saying that Max Johnson, to me, if you're the number one, you're the number one. There was a reason that he was coming off the bench to replace Connor Wegman for A&M, but you have to give props that he was able to come in Against Auburn, get things done, and then last week really handled his business with confidence versus the Arkansas Razorbacks.
9: You know, I look at those two guys, those quarterbacks at Texas A&M, and obviously, Wegman's a, a. the more talented guy in terms of his potential. He's got a big arm. I mean, you know, he can make things happen as a passer, Uh, you know, but, and I think that's probably the way Jimbo and and, and Petrino looked at him, said, you know, Hey, game seven, eight, nine, when we get down the stretch, this guy's going to be really developed. Uh, And he showed some things early against, you know, some of the teams that they played uh, ULM and, and also uh, New Mexico. And he he had a pretty good game as well against Miami. But, you know, I think Max Johnson, he brings a little bit of a maturity and experience player. These guys played in some big games, whether when he was at LSU or now at A&M. You know, he's he played in some big games. You mentioned he's played against Alabama. He beat Florida as a freshman down there in, in, in the swamp, as I recall. Uh, before the SEC championship game that Alabama and Florida played in in 2020, so he's been in some big games. Uh, he also beat Texas A&M when he was at LSU uh, on, on a late throw. So uh, he's a guy that I think, even though he may not have the skills or the potential, maybe that uh, Wegman has, I think he's a very, very capable quarterback. I think he's a strong leader. Uh, so it, it, you know, he's going to be a guy that I think is, is going to present a challenge.
1: We're talking to Rodney Orr, founder of Tighter Insider. And Rodney, the defense really was the story of what happened in Starkville, Mississippi. Because when you lose a starter like Deontay Lawson and for – Campbell to come in and play the way that he did leading the team in tackles and another phenomenal freshman Caleb Downs really coming into his own since the Texas game you're just seeing a lot of growth quickly Nick Saban always preaches the next man up always needs to be ready and we're not going to be any good or any better than our next man up who is always and should be prepared what a great job by Campbell
8: Mm -hmm.
9: Yeah, you pointed out some things there. You talked about how the development since the Texas game. And, again, I think Texas caught Alabama at a great time. I think Texas is probably playing pretty well right now, obviously, and they're a good team, but they, the Alabama's made a lot of progress since then. I think some of these young guys have grown up. You mentioned Jihad Campbell inside. We knew he was going to be really good eventually. Trez Marshall, he, I thought he played really, really well. The transfer from Georgia, you mentioned with Deontay being out, You know, Trez called the defensive signals, thought he you know, played really well. He flashed quite a bit. Uh, I thought you mentioned Downs. I think Downs did play very well. Obviously, Jihad had 14 tackles and an interception. I think Caleb had 13 in an interception. So uh, those two guys were very, very productive. Um, You know, I think that uh, defensively, the thing I really like, Corey, that I sense defensively is the Alabama defense is starting to play with a lot of intensity. They're starting to play with a lot of, uh, you know, focus and effort. I think it's the effort. That really catches my attention. That, that they're playing with, and uh, I, to be honest with you, I think the last two or three years, some of the things that we had seen from Nick Saban's defenses every year, we kind of missed those things over the last few years. I think I sense those things in the last few weeks. The way this Alabama defense is playing, again, the effort, the mental intensity, the physical uh, tackling, the uh, you know just the way they're playing, fundamentally sound. I think those things starting to show up with this defense, and I think that's very encouraging.
1: Well, Rodney, also what's encouraging is when you see the involvement of the tight ends, whether it's Amari Nyblack mm-hmm. or C.J. Dupree, we knew that they were weapons coming in that could help spell relief, kind of like what Brock Bowers does in regards to what we saw Carson Beck going to his go-to wide receiver. But when you're able to get Nyblack and Dupree the football receiving-wise, I know that that adds an extra level of comfort because you always have those checkdowns to your backs coming out of the backfield. But to be able to check down to a tight end and get four and five and six yards when you do check down to them, that's great offense.
9: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nye Black, he's a great weapon, man. I mean, you saw it. You've seen it since the start of the season, making big plays. He had a big touchdown in the opener. He had a big play against Texas for a touchdown. He's had some other big plays. I thought he was really big in this game, making some tough catches. Uh, You know, he can make those catches. He can make make the bigger plays, too. You saw him in the back of the end zone uh, basically come down with a very – Close play there that they ruled he he didn't have complete possession uh, in this Mississippi State game. So he's an extraordinarily gifted kid. There's no question about that. And I think CJ Dupree needs more touches too. I mean, he's had big catches for the last two weeks. He had a really nice play against Ole Miss. He had another one against Mississippi State. Uh you know, he's really solid. I think those two guys, yeah, the more you can get them the ball, uh the better. And I think you, I, th- I think Alabama has weapons, Corey. I, I think it's a matter of uh you know, Milrose got to be able to consistently get them the ball again. I understand he was ten of twelve He threw the ball more in the second half. He threw it better. He threw it with more confidence, all of those things. But I think, uh, you know, if he can develop consistently throwing the football, um, then I think some of these weapons will start to merge even more.
1: What's the biggest thing with Ja'Cory Brooks? And Nick Saban mentioned, look, he's a great special teams player, and that's fine and dandy. Nothing wrong with being a great special teams player because, to me, if you want to make it to the NFL – the easiest and the quickest way to do that is on special teams also but we saw Jacory make some catches a couple of years ago in the Iron Bowl and down that stretch that were phenomenal even last year we saw him make some great catches is 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 something going on with Jacory that you feel that doesn't allow him to be comfortable with Milro? because we've seen what he's capable of doing mm.
9: Uh, I think Jacory, you know, and if, if on Titer and Insider we talked about this back during the summer that, you know, Jacory didn't have the best summer and I think it kind of carried over into camp a little bit. And, you know, I mean, I think that it's kind of carried over into the season a little bit. You haven't seen him as much. You haven't seen him get as many opportunities. And I think that, uh, you know, when when I say having a good summer, I think there's a lot of things you have to do to kind of earn your right to get on the field, you know. And and I think Ja'Cory maybe didn't do everything he could have done to help himself, but – uh, you never know. I mean, I think certainly he's going to get his opportunities as as the season goes along. But I would say that's really what's going on with Jacory right now, is that uh, you know things just <clears throat> sometimes you don't do everything you have to do to to earn your spot, and and I think that's where that stands.
1: Well, I will also say you see Terrion Arnold get chewed out by Nick Saban. You've been covering the Tide for the longest time and within that six national championships that Nick Saban's been able to bring to the capstone you've seen the fiery the fearsome the get after it Nick Saban he joked about Miss Terry saying that he needed to chew at him a little bit more in their rear ends to get him motivated but we definitely saw the old Nick Saban on the sidelines last Saturday
9: yeah You know, uh, and again, you're right. He did joke about Miss Terry. The funny thing is I actually spoke to someone who said he wasn't joking. (laughs) She really (laughs) did tell him that. Uh, So I'm I'm sure she, uh, you know, maybe had some influence. Who knows? But he did seem to be back to the uh, the Nick Saban that we've seen in the past in terms of, you know, being real fiery on the sidelines. And um, I thought that, uh, you know, it really helped in terms of the way uh, Terry and Arnold responded and. I thought again the defense is uh, just just playing really well in my opinion. I mean, you look at it; they've only really had one bad quarter in this whole year, and that was the fourth quarter against Texas. I mean, Corey, look. I mean, going in that Texas game, it was what sixteen thirteen, Bama in the fourth quarter, and Texas actually three of those points were gifted on a turnover. So you know, Alabama had held them to ten points going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, then the dam broke, you know, needed some help from the offense, didn't really get it. So uh, I think this defense overall, and, and you, given the circumstances of an offense that really has been inconsistent, uh, you know, that, that it, they played extremely well. And I think that's what's going to happen Saturday. I mean, again, I think that this is going to be a tough, hard-nosed, physical game. Uh, it's going to come down to a lot of things that we've seen in these kinds of games. You know, who, who protects the football? Uh, you know, who, does, does one team make a big play or two, get a non-offensive touchdown? Whatever it is, uh, whoever sets that tempo, I think that's going to be the team that, that eventually, you know, wins the game. So, right now, I mean, I picked Alabama on our uh, TV show, Tighter Insider TV, uh, on Tuesday night. I picked it 24 20 Alabama in a close game. Uh, but, you know what? I, I think it's a real pick 'em game, Corey. I really do.
1: Yeah, that line continues to shrink. Earlier in the week, it was at two and a half. Now it's down to one point. And no matter how you look at it, I'm glad Milrow had the opportunity to hear all the clanging of the Cowboys and uh, the Cowbells and all the noise because being the home of the 12th man and having 100,000, you hear Eli Gold talk about the press box, Swain and Tom Stipe saying, look, when, when you give them momentum, when you give them an opportunity. Alabama cannot go down early. And I know for whatever reason, and it goes to what Nick Saban was talking about today on the Pat McAfee show, the new rivalry, it's been LSU for the longest, but Texas A&M the last two years, it goes down to the last possession of the game. And that creates excitement and a rivalry because Kevin Sumlin was there, man, we were heading for the exits at halftime when Alabama played Texas A&M.
9: <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot better defense in college station now than what Sumlin had, um, you know, again, they've made a tremendous amount of progress there on the defensive side of the ball. But you're right. I mean, it's it's it, the one thing I will say, Corey. I, I think Alabama might have caught a little bit of a break with the timing of this game in terms of playing it at 2:30 versus at night. Just seems like it's a much different attitude, uh, uh, atmosphere there. I mean, it's a great atmosphere regardless, but it seems like at night it's even more difficult there to play at College uh, uh, Station. But you know, it's it's going to be like I said, it's going to be a Real challenge is going to be loud. You know how it's going to be there. How is Milrow going to respond to it? And I say Milrow, but and it's not just him, but he is the guy that directs this offense. And, and I think you know there's a lot on him. Uh, so uh, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see if, if how much he's grown over the week, uh, because I do think we've seen progress from week to week. You know, old Miss game, we saw it in the second half. Again, I realize he didn't start really well against. Uh, Mississippi State, but I thought he played much better in the second half. They're going to need that four quarters against Texas A&M.
1: Yeah, Ronnie, you kind of gave your prediction there about what Alabama Mississippi uh Texas A&M's final is going to be in it and I do feel that Milroe is going to have a turnover we saw him play against Texas A&M get his first start against this Aggie squad a year ago and, and you saw him have the three touchdowns but you also saw him not value and secure the football so I think some kind of turnover is going to happen whether it's an interception or a, a strip sack fumble by Milrow and I, I just know that here it is you mentioned turnovers being one of the critical factors. When Alabama puts itself in the best position to dominate or to handle its business in the SEC, it's when the penalty count is very low, the turnovers, Alabama wins that battle, or it's a push to where it's even, and the offensive line play continues to be get better for the Crimson Tide after last week's performance.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, there's a, there's not nearly the margin for error. This team does not have the margin for error that maybe some of the other Alabama teams have had in the past. And uh, so mistakes, uh, everyone's, every one of them is magnified with this team. Uh, so I think, Milrow, uh, in terms of the turnovers that you mentioned, th- there's one thing, too. You know, Texas A&M is prepared for him before. Again, I realize it's a year later, but they've played against him. They do have a – a feel for him on the field. You know, and and I think that that's something that that works in their favor a little bit because they've experienced it. They've defended him. Uh, You know, he's Maybe he's a little better. He didn't have a bad night, actually, to be honest with you, with the exception of those turnovers. Those were big, don't get me wrong, three turnovers. That's really, really bad. But now, don't forget, he also threw three touchdowns. He had some big runs in that game. Uh, So, you know, he's very capable of producing big plays. The question is... I mean, which team is he going to produce them for? And that's the key. That's the key in this game. It's going to be the key the rest of the year for Alabama's chances is, you know, is he going to become more consistent, more efficient, uh, protecting the ball? And it seems like, again, it seems like since that interception gets old miss, he's kind of, you know, become a little bit more comfortable. He's playing within himself um, and, and, you know, hopefully continues to make big plays.
1: Well, when I was talking to Scott Hunter on – our show earlier this week Scott was kind of joking about poking the bear Aniah Smith goes in and he has a lot to say about knowing Nick Saban this isn't the Alabama old one and two ranked team in the country and he's a key receiver as well as a punt returner I think that he is you know, be careful what you ask for there as far as poking the bear. And I know that Alabama, it's been known in their locker room to go ahead and make sure they plaster that kind of stuff about what you're gonna do about them and the, use that as a little bit of extra juice going into Texas A and M. You
9: talking about a nice Smith yeah. comment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you know, again, I think that's funny because I think sometimes that that wears off. I I like Terry and Arnold's comments about that, about how it kind of carries on throughout the game. You know, when somebody says something like that, you – you kind of during the game you rib them and kind of see if it distracts them any and see how they respond to it a little bit and he said he might ask him a few times during the game what what is it the coach Saban wants you know <laughs> so uh little chatter going on I think but no I mean I you know again I think uh, uh it's probably better uh to to not say that uh to not say things that that I, I think draw attention and those types of things but it does happen and you know um you know, Again, I, I, I really think that the bottom line, though, is going to be uh, w- what happens in the trenches, you know? What happens in the trenches? And that's going to be really key. How does Alabama's offensive line – how do they – you know handle that defensive front of texas a&m and and on the flip side of that you know what 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 can alabama do defensively to slow down texas a&m's run and look i think evan stewart the texas a&m receiver is as good as any receiver alabama will play and has played Uh, i think he's an extraordinarily talented player they've got some other good receivers you mentioned aniah smith he's really good um, you know, Noah Thomas is a six foot six receiver that had, what, three touchdown receptions in a game earlier this year. It's a really big target. Uh, Mohammed, Moose Muhammad's really, really good too. Now, I don't know if all those guys are healthy right now or how healthy they are, but uh, I guarantee you that's a good group of receivers that they have. And, and you know what, Jimbo Fisher always seems to use that tight end, and he uses it really well against Alabama. So uh, they've always been effective with their tight ends.
1: That's a great point because Texas was super duper, effective with their tight end and really hurting alabama at critical times alabama had no answer it's kind of like with brock bowers you're like look somebody can we please cover the tight end somebody cover the tight end especially when they're not just making one play but two and three and chunk yardage at that 25 and 35 yards a pop to me that's something to keep an eye on that's a great point right there Rodney keeping an eye on what Bobby Petrino is going to bring to his master class against Nick Saban he's never won as a head coach against Nick Saban 0-4 at Arkansas 0-1 at Louisville as an offensive coordinator not as much pressure as far as he and Jimbo Fisher getting along so far at College Station Rodney, I'm looking forward to a great game, possibly coming down to the fourth quarter, another third year in a row with a fantastic finish or within the last four and a half minutes with the game being decided. And people want to follow all of your tremendous tighter insider coverage. How can people do that?
9: Well, Insider it's only $48 a year, and you can get instant access with your credit card if you prefer. There is an address there to send a check. gives you all our premium information. But also our all-sports forum, that's our community of Alabama fans there. It's a great community. It's a big community. It's a lot of inter- inter- uh, interaction there, a lot of exchange, a lot of information, uh, you know, conversation, much like what we've had here uh, on your show. So it goes on just 24-7 on TiderInsider.com.
1: Rodney, can't thank you enough. Always a pleasure to join you, and when you're able to jump on, we'd love to have you here on our Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Look forward to talking to you very soon.
9: Corey, I appreciate it as always. You take care.
1: Rodney Orr, none better than his information, and for as long as he's been covering the Alabama Crimson Tide, again, founder of Tider Insider great alabama crimson tide knowledge philip dukes will bring us the auburn side of things on the gulf coast auto tech tide and tiger report coming up next
6: this is mayor sandy Stimson you're listening to sports radio 105.5 fm wnsp
0: Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694 1055 or take part of the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick.
1: Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. I want to thank Rodney Orr for joining us this afternoon, and Philip Dukes will be joining us next here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. And Philip, He's all over Auburn, sports writer for CBS Sports 24-7, Sports Auburn 24-7, AuburnUndercover.com does his own podcast. So he, ha- he has so much recruiting information about Auburn prospects from the Auburn-Georgia game. So look forward to talking to him about that, along with Auburn's expectations coming up for LSU and where they're sitting there and, letting him know about what Hugh Freeze had to say when he was here in Mobile on Monday also. So looking forward to catching up with Philip Dukes next year on the Gulf Coast Auto
2: Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Boy, the, uh, the rumor mill is swirling a little bit. They're saying that Jalen Milrow might have a hamstring injury, a significant hamstring injury that might, either leave him out of this Texas A&M game or really limit his running ability and that that's why this line is shifting as much as it has.
1: You see the line at 1 currently, yeah. So if it shifts any more than that, then we definitely know something is up. Yeah. For sure,
2: but I fully expect Miro to play and I no credible source has said anything. Uh just rumors. Well, the line
1: sometimes becomes a rumor in and of itself there in Vegas. Philip Dukes coming up next here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report.
7: Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNST.
0: Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick.
1: The Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Coming to you on this Thursday evening from WNSP 105.5. And want to thank Rodney Orr for joining us for our Tide portion of this Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report and going to get my man Philip Dukes on the line to talk about the Auburn Tigers and there was plenty to talk about on Monday night as Hugh Freeze was in the building at Moe's Barbecue had an opportunity to sit and talk with Hugh Freeze for the first time outside of SEC media days and also was able to meet Perry Uno Thompson and give him an award for being our first and 10 C Spire Offensive Player of the Month. And joining us now is Philip Dukes. Brother Dukes, how are you doing this
3: afternoon? Man, I'm good, man. It's, it's, a, it's a nice day in Atlanta. I'm enjoying the weather and uh, happy to be on.
1: Man, we appreciate you being on. And Hugh Freeze was on with us on Monday as he was down here at Mobile, Alabama, during Auburn's bye week and some of the things that he had to talk about to prepare during this bye week was the play calling, Auburn's quarterback situation, but Dukes, what an environment Jordan-Hare Stadium was last Saturday versus the Georgia Bulldogs.
3: Oh, my goodness. It, it, it's the thing of legend. It's what makes Auburn Auburn. And I think the most important part about it is you showed up in a game where a lot of people thought that you didn't have a chance you had probably the biggest recruiting weekend in Auburn history with the amount of sheer star power that was there and Auburn, the Auburn family came, they they, they came full force. They came ready. They were, they they were loud and you can see that Georgia was a little bit rattled. And I think, you know, if that game goes six quarters, I think Auburn figures it out. But, you know, uh, it ended the way it did end, but yeah, you can't say enough about the atmosphere from the tailgate all the way down to the final snap. It was a great atmosphere. The only thing that could have been better was the roll to him as corner.
1: Yeah, that would have been a historic situation. But it, those orange pom poms and all the orange out didn't go in vain because they got a chance to see an outstanding football game. And when you do look at the answer for at quarterback. For Auburn, is it going to be Peyton Thorne? Is it going to be Robbie Ashford moving forward? Because you got to go to Death Valley, and that's just another tough place to play. We saw the the struggles in the second half on the road versus Texas A&M, but the defense rises to the occasion. But again, it goes back to you got to have some support from the offense. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think um, you're going to continue to see two quarterbacks play. Uh, I think that they t- they do have two uh, really different skill sets, even though they do some of the same things. I just think that uh, the players are so different athletically that uh, sometimes you see Robbie in and you'll think it's a run and you'll start to see more passing. And I think as you saw against Georgia, you saw uh, Peyton Thorne in a whole lot more uh, read option. So I think as they continue to kind of play with the minds of of, of defenses and uh, make adjustments off of what they've already put on film, you'll still see the combination of those two quarterbacks, but you'll see them in roles that are not so defined.
1: Well, I tell you, roles that have to be defined is depth defensively for the Auburn Tigers. And I know that Coach... Gave us an update on some injuries of Austin Keys, Keontae Scott, and Damari Austin, all guys that Auburn needs to lean on, but these guys aren't going to be able to play a lot of football moving forward.
3: Well, um, I literally talked to Damari Austin's father today, and uh, it seems like Damari has a positive prognosis. Um, it's not as bad as originally thought. I think you. He would probably, if I had to to, to grade him for uh, LSU, I would probably say doubtful. But as far as far as the remainder of the season, if he misses a game, it'll probably be the next one. But after that, I think you'll see DeMar for the rest of the season. Uh, Keyes is a little bit different. I think Austin Keyes is, uh, I, I'm not sure. There's, it's not as defined as when he would come back. But, uh, you know, even with the linebacker core, you are seeing Auburn send guys out in waves. So I think that's uh one of the roles that may not be uh, as pertinent as the Mars is. And as uh, I think one of the biggest losses was uh, uh Big Mo on the defensive line, uh Mosiah Natalie Kite, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Closer but uh I think, Yep, he's uh lost for the season. So I think along that defensive line you'll see a lot more Keldrick fault and I think uh you'll wanna see And and in the summer and the spring, there was talk of having a front where you would have Justin Rogers and Jackson Jones on the same front, which everybody thought would be a a huge boom for the run defense. And uh, I'm interested to see if that actually comes to fruition.
1: Well, I tell you what has come to fruition is Hugh Freeze's ability to go out there and recruit. And I know you're right on top of all the recruiting that Auburn does, do five-star Camarion Franklin making his commitment um, already. And when you try to look at Ryan Williams in some orange and blue, of course, he's verbally committed to Alabama and has been for a while. His father played at Auburn. So when you do look at trying to flip a lot of these recruits, I know pretty much everyone social media wise said, man, the environment and the atmosphere is b- bigger than the Big Cat Weekend was.
3: No, absolutely. It was one thousand percent a different, ev- a different experience. It was almost like, like Big Cat Weekend was a watered down version of the concentrate of what you had in Jordan Hare Stadium uh, on Saturday. I think uh, when you look at it, the amount of five stars there, it was, it was, the, it was the place to be in college football last weekend. And you even had probably the most, the best quarterback, regardless of class in the entire nation in Julian Lewis, uh, USC commit, uh, who who attended the game. You had Caleb Odom at the game. You had uh, 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 Laquan Laquan Phillips. Uh, Just just guys after guys after guys. K.J. Bolden. Everybody was there. Uh, If there wasn't another place in college football, you would want to be last weekend. And I think that uh, the ability for Auburn staff To understand the gravity of the situation and to still spend quality time with the amount of kids that they had on campus, I thought it was phenomenal. Hugh Freeze is a guy who's going to get the job done because he understands the importance of recruiting. This isn't a knock to anybody who's been a previous Auburn coach. But I do know that Hugh Freeze absolutely understands that recruiting is the lifeblood of a program, and he is not going to take it lightly. And I think this weekend he and his staff did a great job of being able to host so many high-level players to now that Auburn, which previously had kind of been an afterthought, is in the forefront of people's minds when they think about where they want to go to school.
1: My man, Philip Dukes, he's a sports writer, has written for CBS Sports, 24 7 Sports, Auburn 24 7, AuburnUndercover.com. You're not going to find anybody with more knowledge than what Philip Dukes has and more passion for the Auburn Tigers fan base than Philip Dukes has, folks. And I-, I will ask you your prediction for the Auburn LSU game a week out. Do Tigers versus Tigers, does Auburn have an opportunity to knock off LSU in Death Valley.
3: Absolutely. I think in this type of game, the way Auburn's defense is playing, I think they will. uh, Ron Roberts' defense is very confusing when it comes to opposing quarterbacks as far as where he brings his pressures from. There's a a lot of perimeter blitzing. You you never know where the pressure is going to come from. And I think for a quarterback, a mobile quarterback, uh, when you look at your pockets and you look at your reads and you look at where you want to escape to, Having guys come from the perimeter is always difficult to kind of assist. So I think with Jaden Daniels and his skill set, I think Ron Roberts will have a great game plan for him. Uh, that being said, I do think that LSU right now has the better roster. They also are going down to Death Valley. It's a night game. It's not a place I would want to be at 7 o'clock at night or pitch black 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So uh, I would say that I think LSU comes out on top at this point maybe by a field goal, four points somewhere in there. But I am definitely not ruling out the fact of some Auburn, Auburn Maddox following down two Baton Rouge and Auburn coming out on top.
1: Absolutely love it. Love the prediction. Love the faith in your Auburn Tigers. And Dukes, how can everyone follow all of your tremendous coverage of the Auburn Tigers on so many different platforms?
3: Uh, Check me out everywhere at Dukes, the scoop D-U-K-E-S-T-H-E-S-C-O-O-P. That's Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, you name it. Uh, Go look for me. And and if you come from this show, let me know, and we'll have some conversation. Appreciate you so much.
1: Dukes, the scoop, bringing us that Auburn scoop here this afternoon on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Can't thank you enough.
3: No, for sure, man. Corey, thank you so much, bro.
1: Philip Dukes joining us here on WNSP 105.5. Coming up next hour, we will have the prep spotlight. Pigskin Pete, Brian Gennard in the building here at WNSP 105.5. Actually, Pigskin Pete is out of town. So it'll be Brian Gennard and Michael Bronner holding it down. The broadcast crew. Yep. For our Friday night's broadcast, we'll be broadcasting for the next hour here on WNSP, the prep spotlight coming up next, immediately following the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama
5: native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.